On today's episode, I will be dishing out my Chicago Blackhawks end of the season awards, such as team MVP, defenseman of the year, most improved player, biggest bust, and plenty of others. All that and more right here on Locked On Blackhawks. Your Locked On Blackhawks, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome in to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, your daily podcast on the Chicago Blackhawks. Today is Wednesday, May 18th. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you can also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talk and Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And if you're listening to the audio version of today's episode and you like what you're hearing, then please go and show some support first by following the podcast, which will only take a quick couple of seconds. Literally, just a quick click of the button will help me out tremendously. Go and leave the show five stars if you like what you're hearing today as well. And if you're tuning in through Apple Podcasts or through Spotify, then feel free to go and leave me a review. If you're regularly tuning into the show and you got something positive to say about it, definitely go and leave me a review, please, because I always greatly appreciate getting feedback from my tremendous listeners out there. And best of all, it's 100% for free wherever you may be listening to your podcasts, whether that be through Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. It's all 100% for free. And if you go and follow the show right now, then you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And if you're not already watching the video version of today's episode, then you got to be sure to go and check out Lockdown Blackhawks on YouTube. Each and every episode moving forward, folks, not only on my show, but across the Lockdown Podcast Network, is going to have a video version attached to it as well. So if you haven't done so yet, please, please, please go and subscribe to Lockdown Blackhawks on YouTube. I would greatly appreciate all the support. I'm really trying to keep boosting those numbers up. Go and smash the like button down below for me as well. And be sure to turn on those push notifications. Go and ring the bell so that you'll be able to be notified when the episode gets uploaded to YouTube each and every day. All right. Good morning, everyone. As always, thank you all for tuning into another episode of Lockdown Blackhawks, your one stop shop for all things Chicago Blackhawks and for making the show your first listen here on this rainy Wednesday morning. And to open up the show, folks, as all of you know by now, I will be handing out my Blackhawks 2021-2022 end of the season awards. And I know it certainly wasn't the season that any of us fans were hoping for, but um, that doesn't mean that we still can't have a little bit of fun with it. So with that being said, let's go on and dive right into it. Once again, thank you all for tuning in to this episode. Hope you're all having safe travels on this Wednesday morning. I know it's kind of a monsoon out there right now, at least up in the suburbs. Uh, but safe travels to everyone, and thank you all again for tuning into a fun episode that I've been looking forward to for quite a long time. Uh, the first award that I am going to be dishing out is Team MVP, aka the Hart Trophy, or I've seen a lot of folks call it the Stan Makita Award, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I, I'm just going to say, you know, the Hart Trophy. Um, but this for me really was kind of just a two horse race. Um, maybe you could have thrown 
Mark Andre Fleury into that category as well, as well, because when he was here with the Hawks in the first half, before getting dealt to Minnesota at the trade deadline, uh, he was a big reason why the Blackhawks had as many wins as they did. And I don't even want to imagine what would have happened had Kevin Lankinen and Colin Delia been the 1A and 1B situation for the entire campaign. Uh, but with Fleury not sticking around for the second half, obviously, uh, I decided not to put him in the running for team MVP here. I also decided not to even give out a Vezina Trophy award because, quite frankly, um, I would have just given it to Flurry, even though, like I said, he was only here for half the season because Kevin Lankinen and Colin Delia, um, I, I would have probably say Delia was a little bit better in his limited action down the stretch of the regular season, to be honest, but neither really put up numbers that you want to be looking at or not too impressive in any way, shape, or form. So I kind of eliminated the goaltending from my team awards because I felt like it was an obvious award to give to Marc-Andre Fleury. So I went, went in a different direction with a couple of these awards, as you'll find out later on in the episode. But starting off with the team MVP, a.k.a. the Hart Trophy, a.k.a. the Stan Makita Memorial, uh, a two-horse race, basically, right, between Patrick Kane and Alex DeBrinkett. Look, that top line carried this team throughout the entire way this season. I don't even think there's a debate for anyone else to be MVP aside from Patrick Kane and Alex DeBrinkett. And I really had a tough time choosing between the two because uh, both of them were remarkable in their own ways. So I'm actually going to give Patrick Kane and Alex DeBrinkett co MVP awards here, and I'm going to put them together as they should be moving forward for the Chicago Blackhawks. Of course, in his end of the season award, Patrick Kane talked about his future a little bit here in Chicago. Uh, and one thing that he said was, you know, if a guy like Alex DeBrinkett is signed on throughout this rebuild, us two have obviously established some pretty solid chemistry together over the years. If he's here, it's a lot easier for me to sign on uh, for whatever amount of years it's going to be in this rebuild, whatever contracts they give Patrick Kane. Uh, he said it would be easier to do if Alex DeBrinkett is a part of the plans moving forward as well. So I think it's kind of fitting here to tie those two together, not only based on what we saw on the ice from them this year, showing some incredible chemistry, but now clearly off the ice, that's someone that Kane has you know taken a liking to. And I've been talking about this with a lot of my buddies recently. Why I think in particular Patrick Kane made that comment is because if you look back at some of the line mates that he's had throughout the years, Stan Bowman got rid of them all that he was having success with, right? Like obviously Artemi Panarin, that's the one that hurts the most, especially watching him score the game seven overtime winner for the New York Rangers. It's like, wow, we, we dealt that guy for Brandon Saad one for one. Brandon Saad's a good hockey player. Don't get me wrong. He's not Artemi Panarin. Like, come on, everyone knows that. Um, and then also Nick Schmaltz was someone who, you know, I, I think was a little reluctant to shoot the puck, which is something that Patrick Kane needs being kind of a pass first player. But Schmaltz, he was showing a lot of flashes, a young player as well, really just stepping onto the scene. What happens? He gets dealt as well. So I think it's important to Patrick Kane that, you know, this time around, they keep the guy he's having success with on that top line, if you want to, if you want to say, I know sometimes it's been the second line, but they are the top line for the Blackhawks. I think it's important to Kaner, uh, important to Kaner to keep Alex to bring it around moving forward. He said so himself in his end of the season presser. So that's why I'm really sticking these guys together and going with them as the co MVPs 
Uh, but both guys had nothing short of phenomenal seasons for the Blackhawks. For Kaner, uh, played in 78 games. He had 92 points, which was good for 14th in the entire NHL and was also his third highest point total of his NHL career. He had 66 assists, which ties a career high. He was obviously playing a ton night in and night out, finished with over 21 minutes of ice time per game. And I think the most impressive part for me uh, about Kaner putting up these types of numbers, as I said, third highest point total, that was 14th in the NHL. Uh, he, he tied a career high with assists. He added 26 goals. He did all of that, not only on the 26th or 27th ranked offense that the Blackhawks have, not only with a horrible power play unit where he and Debrinket were the only ones that could do anything all year long, but he also did it with a uh, basically a career-low shooting percentage. Kaner shot 9.1% this year, and his previous career low was 9.09. So he literally was 0.01 away from tying a career low in shooting percentage, and he still had this type of output this season. Nothing short of incredible, and uh, with limited help around him, you know, he was still able to do magical things. And at his age, I mean, he just keeps getting better and better and better. He remains basically the one constant of the Chicago Blackhawks throughout the years. Every night, it seems, Patrick Kane finds a way, uh, especially in the second half of the season. He did get off to a little bit of a slow start, but in the second half, it was like, you know, you look up at the stat sheet and be like, oh, just another three-point night for Kane despite the Blackhawks being dreadful. So I definitely... That's why it was hard for me to pick one or the other because you can make cases for both of these guys. That's why I elected to give them uh, the co-MVP award. And for Debrinket, obviously, you know, he was a 40-goal scorer for the second time in his career. 41 goals, ties a career high. Uh, and aside from that, he, he, I really wish he set a career high in goals because it was basically career highs all across the board for him. 37 assists is a career high, 78 points career high. 14 power play goals, career high, 28 power play points, career high, even set a career high in average time on ice with just under 21 minutes per game. He was given a bigger role this year and he handled it fantastically. Um, and he also, like Kaner, interestingly enough, Alex Dabrinkit shot 15.2% this season. Now, <laughs> that's still pretty darn good. But in comparison to some of his past years, that's actually the second lowest of his five year NHL career. That tells you about how much output he was having and how much, uh, how many shots he was getting off on goal, right? Because he still had 41 goals despite having the second worst shooting percentage of his NHL career and set career highs all across the board as well. So even though those two didn't shoot as well as they have in the past, they still were leading the Blackhawks offense, were still up near the top of the NHL in points. Alex DeBrinkett finished uh 13th in the NHL in goals this year. Those two were unbelievable all year long. They carried this Blackhawks offense. They carried the power play. Uh, they, they did so much for this team. So I think it was kind of an easy answer here. It was clearly a two-horse race for Team MVP, so that's why I elected to give them the co-MVP award. Moving on to our next award here today, we have Defenseman of the Year, a.k.a. the Norris Trophy, a.k.a. the Duncan Keith Memorial whatever you want to call it, you got to give it to Seth Jones. And look, I know there's a lot of debate out there about uh, whether or not Seth Jones is a top pairing defenseman. I know there's a lot of hate because of the deal he signed, the trade that Stan Bowman made to acquire him. And because of those 
latter two things, a lot of people have this unwavering disdain for Seth Jones. It doesn't matter what he does on the ice. They're just going to hate him. He could have a great goal. He, he could chip in offensively, and he has one breakdown in the defensive zone, and fans are going to be jumping all over him. I'll never forget, I was at a Blackhawks game this year, and the person sitting next to me was dogging Seth Jones the whole game for absolutely no reason. Every time he touched the puck, get it off your tape, Seth, you suck. I was like, are we still doing this? Are we really doing this? Because if you watch the game, you know that Seth Jones is by far our best defenseman. One of probably the only guy on the team this year who could drive play offensively, skate the puck out of the defensive zone and make something happen. And look, I get that the Blackhawks overpaid to get him and overpaid him. But there's nothing we can do about that anymore. He's here and he's going to be here for a long time. Are you really going to hate him for the next eight, nine years because of what our old general manager did? That doesn't even make any sense at all. Like, and, and to not appreciate the type of play that, that Seth Jones brings to the table. He's fast. He's physical. Maybe not rugged, but he knows how to use his body in the defensive zone. He knows how to use size to his advantage. He maybe may not be laying out massive hits, but that size helps him in the defensive zone. And uh, by the way, Seth led the entire NHL in average time on ice this season with 26 minutes and 12 seconds per night. I mean, the Blackhawks, we're leaning on him heavily from start to finish. And I know there's people out there who are going to critique the plus minus. He finished at minus 37 this year. But let me tell you something real quick. That's what happens when you're the leading ice time getter in the entire NHL and your team is absolute trash. That's what's going to happen. You're going to be minus 37 if you're playing half the game for a terrible team. Plus minus also is an overrated stat. So uh, you can't critique Seth for that one. That That's just a a symptom of him playing so often. And look, maybe Seth isn't a top five upper echelon defenseman that's there with Kale McCarr, Victor Hedman, Roman Yossi. He's not in that category, right? He's not an elite game-changing defenseman, but he's pretty darn good. He, he's for sure in that top 20, 10 to 20 boat, I would say, is where Seth Jones lands. Do we still need to give him some help? Yeah, absolutely. He's probably not someone that you can rely on night in and night out to absolutely carry the load, but he is a good top pairing defenseman. Let's not get it twisted. And I do understand that the offense, particularly on the power play this year, uh, was a little bit of an issue. No Blackhawks defenseman scored a power play goal this year. Um, but even considering that, Jones still set the second his second highest in terms of points this year with 51. He picked up a career-high 46 assists, and despite not scoring a power play goal, he also set a career-high, uh, or actually, sorry, the second highest of his career with 19 power play points. He had 19 assists on the power play, and that triangle of him, DeBrinket, and Kane was really the entire power play all season long. So look, you can say that Seth Jones maybe isn't worth the money or worth what we gave up for him, that I would agree with you. But to act like he's not a good defenseman, that's absolute garbage, in my opinion, because you're not watching the same game. You're not watching it uh, objectively. You're watching already with a mentality put in your head that you don't like Seth Jones. And it's completely unfair because he didn't do anything wrong. Heck, he elected to sign on here in Chicago and has said all the right things despite the team randomly going through a rebuild, which he probably didn't expect at all when he first signed on. So stop hating Seth Jones. I don't understand it. 
And honestly, it wasn't even really close. It wasn't even a thought of mine to give this award to someone else because Seth Jones undoubtedly was the Blackhawks' best defenseman this year. All right, there are the first couple awards that I will be giving out on the show here today. Coming up in just a minute, I will get into the most improved player and the hardest hitter. But first, I need to talk to you all about rockauto.com. Rock Auto is a family business serving auto parts customers online and do-it-yourselfers for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to save both money and time while shopping for auto and body parts from hundreds of different manufacturers. Why would you choose to spend 30%, 50%, or even as much as 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or at a new car dealership? Chain stores and car dealerships have different price tiers for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers, but rockauto.com's prices are the same for everybody and they're always reliably low. The rockauto.com catalog is also remarkably unique and super easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle, from motor oil to tail lamps and even carpet. And you can also choose the brands, specifications, and the prices that you prefer. Best of all, those prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same for professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers. So why go through a middleman and spend up to twice as much money and time for the same parts when you can go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts that you will ever need for your car or truck for the best possible prices and make sure to let them know that the Lockdown Podcast Network sent you. All right, we're back here on the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. Getting into the next couple awards that I'll be dishing out on today's episode. Next, let's go with the most improved player. And this was one where I gave a little bit of thought to it. Um, I considered Alec Regula here, also Alex Vlasic. Sam Lafferty was probably my runner-up, though, I would have to say, even though we didn't see you know, him progress to what he is because once we acquired him from Pittsburgh in in the middle of the season, you know, it's not like we got a flash of what he was like in the past, kind of just got uh, a rolling report of what type of player he was in Pittsburgh. But based on some of the numbers, I definitely thought Sam Lafferty made the most of his opportunity, his greater opportunity, I should say, here in Chicago. uh, And I thought had a, a really strong second half of the season. But all in all, I thought this was a pretty clear-cut decision here with Dylan Strom being the most improved player this season. After all he had to go through at the beginning of the year when he was getting scratched by Jeremy Colleton, somehow Jeremy didn't think Strom was good enough to get in the lineup, which left a lot of us absolutely shaking our heads early on. You know he definitely wasn't happy. Uh, sitting up in the press box and knowing that he could probably do more if he was just given an opportunity, which fortunately Derek King gave him in the second half of the season. Um, but yeah, Dylan Strom, what a turnaround it, w- it was for him after definitely, like I said, a, a frustrating first couple of months there. Uh, but all in all, Strom put together one heck of a campaign. He ended up playing in 69 games this season. Uh, he set a career high with 22 goals added 26 assists, which is the second highest of his career, and also posted 48 points, which is the second highest of his career. On the power play, though, because of his larger opportunity playing with Alex Dabrinka and Patrick Kane, I would have liked him to see, I would have liked to see him do more on the man advantage because um, 
adding another weapon would have been so crucial for the Hawks power play, but Strom did set career highs in both power play goals and power play points. Uh, and he also set a career high in shooting percentage. He shot 17.5% here. And that kind of had me thinking, Blackhawks fans, it can go either way with how you want to look at that, right? You could think, oh, Dylan Strom absolutely played with a chip on his shoulder. He was fine in the back of the net regularly, 17.5%. That's incredible. Or you can look at it as to, is Dylan Strom really going to shoot 17.5% again in his NHL career? Was this potentially the ceiling for him because of that outlier, if you will, in, in terms of shooting percentage? That's going to make for an interesting debate. and. Could be something that the Blackhawks up in the front office are paying attention to since they're going to have to uh, give Dylan Strom a contract extension if they want to keep him around here in Chicago moving forward. Uh, another area, though, that I was also very pleasantly surprised and impressed with Dylan Strom this year well, was at the faceoff dot because for the past few seasons, uh, that, that was really a struggle for him here in Chicago. And it was kind of weird because when he had that stint in Arizona before being swapped for Nick Schmaltz, uh, he was winning like, I know it was a small sample size. It was only like 17 or 18 games or something along now, 22 maybe. Uh, but he was he won 57% of his face-offs during that time in Arizona. And it was like, oh, okay. And, and for a while now, a problem for the Blackhawks has been no one else can win a face-off except for Jonathan Taves. That was a problem when we first acquired Dylan Strome. So I was super excited to be like, oh, we're going to add another guy that can win face-offs regularly. Let's get it. And then he comes in and goes, you know, 44, 45% in the first couple of years, but he made a huge leap in that area this year, winning well over 50%. Uh, and that could be another reason why the Blackhawks feel like he's worth another gamble for one or two more years, possibly, if he can help out at the faceoff dot. Because as I've said, Jonathan Taze, even after missing a whole year, was still one of the best in the NHL in that department. But you need depth in that area. Jonathan Taze can't take every key defensive or offensive zone face-off. So I thought it was really nice to see uh, Dylan Strom step up in that department as well. Uh, and he also had a career high with 17 minutes and 26 seconds of average time on ice. A lot of that, you know, playing with Patrick Kane and Alex Dabrinkit, you're going to be getting more ice time. Uh, but I thought he handled the larger role really well. And um, for someone that was, you know, healthy scratched early on in the year and probably begging for that opportunity. That's exactly what he needed to do once he got it. He took it and ran with it and remained on the top line with Kaner and Cat for the rest of the regular season and posted a, a lot of terrific numbers and really battled back like a true warrior. So I think undoubtedly Dylan Strom has to be the Blackhawks' most improved player this season. The next award I'll be giving out is a little bit of an interesting one. As I said, I didn't really want to give out the goaltender award or the Vezina Trophy, the Tony O, Corey Crawford award, whatever you want to call it, because I would have just given it to Flurry for the spectacular first half that he had. And it wouldn't have been all that fun since he's now not a member of the Chicago Blackhawks. So I decided to go in a different direction here with the heaviest hitter award. And I had to think about this one for a little bit because um, a couple of guys were pretty physical and late, had a couple of massive hits throughout the year. Uh, Jake McCabe was probably the most physical defenseman on the back end. Connor Murphy, when he was healthy, would throw the weight around a little bit. Uh, Riley Stillman in the season opener, I'll never forget. I think it was Dylan Helm, but he threw an absolutely massive hip check. That made me almost want to pick Stillman for the heaviest hitter. But I'm actually going to go in a different direction here, Blackhawks fans. I'm going to give it 
to fourth line forward Reese Johnson because Reese, he obviously missed a ton of time this year due to a broken clavicle. I believe he suffered that in December. It didn't return until mid-March, if I have my dates correct. Uh, but he, he wound up only playing in 37 games this season. But in those 37 games, he recorded 141 hits, which was good for uh, third on the Blackhawks, despite Jake McCabe and Calvin DeHaan were the only two ahead of him. And they played in basically double the amount of games that he did. So when Reese was healthy and in the lineup, he was physical night in and night out, and it was noticeable. And that's something the Blackhawks need down in their bottom six and on their fourth line. They need a rugged tough to play against fourth line center. That's been a crucial part of their team throughout the years. I don't know if Reese Johnson is going to be that next man moving forward. He did just sign a two-year $800,000 AAV contract extension. So looks like the Blackhawks are going to give him an opportunity to continue on in that role. Um, We'll have to wait and see. Uh, He's still got to round his game out a little bit more and just be a bit more consistent night in and night out. But I did like what I saw from Reese, especially in the second half of the season when he got back from that broken clavicle. You know, he'd have three, four, five hits a night, it seemed like, and a lot of them were were when the fourth line was on the ice, needing to provide that energy, that spark plug for the rest of the lineup. So I was impressed with Reese Johnson in the physicality department this year. As I said, uh, 141 hits in 37 games. I thought that was really solid. And he also won 50.5% of his face-offs. And to be a good fourth-line centerman, a good shutdown center guy, you need to be winning and uh, you need to be regularly winning at the face-off dot. And Reese did that this year as well. I know that doesn't relate to the heaviest hitter, but uh, I think that's good news for him moving forward as the fourth-line center. Hopefully he'll be able to keep improving because uh, the Blackhawks need a little bit more depth and Reese Johnson, Boris Kachuk, and Mackenzie Entwistle gave them that down the stretch of the season. All three players are now signed on for the next two years. Uh, so we'll have to see what those youngins can do moving forward. But Reese Johnson, I think, deserves the heaviest hitter award for the amount of physicality that he showed in his limited action with the Blackhawks this season. All right, we're through the first four awards that I'll be giving out on the show here today. Coming up in just a minute, I will get into a couple of final awards such as Rookie of the Year and Biggest Bust. But first, I need to talk to you all about Built Bar, which is a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Summer is coming, and you're going to need some food for being on the go. Well, Built Bars are the perfect snack to take with you everywhere you go. Throw them into your bags, into your kids' backpacks, and make sure that everyone has a bar to be fueled for their summer adventures. And the best part about Built Bars is that they're both delicious and healthy. So there's no more sacrificing delicious food for health because with Built Bar, you can have both delicious and healthy. You can have the best of both worlds. And have you tried Built Bar Puffs yet? Because if not, then you're seriously missing out on one of the best tasting protein bars on the market. With flavors like banana cream pie, cinnamon churro, Built Bar also just sent me a package of birthday cake puffs, which is absolutely amazing. It tastes like it's got marshmallow filling got sprinkles on top. I I literally had two yesterday. That's not even a joke. And the best part about the Built Bar Puffs is that they're only 150 calories or less and have at least 17 grams or more of protein. So head on over to Built.com right now and be sure to use our promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order. That's Built.com 
with the promo code LOCKED15, one word LOCKED in all caps, followed by the number 15 to get 15% off your next Built Bar order. Welcome back to the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. Getting into segment three here this morning before I let you all go and enjoy the rest of your days. I still got two more awards that need to be given out. Next up, we have Rookie of the Year, a.k.a. Calder Trophy, a.k.a. the Artemi Panarin Breadman Memorial, whatever you want to call it. This was a little bit of a tricky one for me because, you know, there are a lot of rookies that uh, had their stints up and down uh, with Chicago and Rockford this year. We saw a lot of new faces, particularly on the back end. And I, I had a difficult time choosing this one. I, I wanted to give it to Lucas Reichel because even though he only put up one point in his first 10 NHL games, in those final four or five, he was getting several grade A chances each and every game. He just wasn't able to put the puck in the back of the net for whatever reasons. Um, but I'm actually going to go in a different direction here. I don't know how people are going to feel about this one, but I'm actually going to give this award to Alec Regula. And I know that he only played in 15 games for the Blackhawks this year down the stretch of the season when, you know, they weren't playing for much, but he was playing for a lot. There are a lot of defensemen in the pipelines right now fighting for a limited amount of jobs. And out of any of them that came up, I feel like Alec Regula played the most consistently. And again, we didn't see him be an all-world offensive defenseman or anything. He only had one point in his 15 games played, which was his first NHL goal, which I was lucky enough to be in attendance for as someone who's been a huge Alec Regula fan since they acquired him from the Detroit Red Wings in exchange for Brendan Perlini a few years back. Uh, I have always thought he's had more offensive upside than some people give him credit for, particularly uh, or an example of that would be him going coast to coast for a super nice goal during the Rockford Ice Hogs playoff run. Um, I, I I don't think he's ever going to wow people offensively. Like that's not his bread and butter, but he can do things offensively that I feel like people don't recognize. Like, I feel like people think he's only a shutdown defenseman. No, that's not really the case. Like, and I love to see the Blackhawks give him chances on the second power play unit when he was up in the NHL, because we need someone else besides Seth Jones who can help out offensively. And Alec Regula, Played a lot of power play minutes in his time of junior hockey with the London Knights of the OHL. I know that's completely different than the NHL, but that was something he did. That was a service that he was able to do, a hole that he was able to fill. So I like the Blackhawks giving him that opportunity there to allow him to uh, gain some experience of what it's like to run the man advantage in the NHL and, and to also you know, give him, give him an opportunity to kind of showcase more of the skill side of his game. Um, but I was really impressed with what I saw from Alec Gula, mostly in the defensive zone. Sure, as all rookies do, he had some bad decisions, some bad giveaways that led up that led to the puck going into the back of his net. But all in all, I thought as the games went on, he certainly grew more and more comfortable. And I think um, a direct depiction of that, if you will, uh, was the amount of time on ice that Derek King was giving him in those final games. Like Alec Gula was playing 19 to 21 minutes during his final few games of the year with the Blackhawks. And all in all, uh, he finished with 17 minutes and 52 seconds of average time on ice. So just about 18 minutes through his first 15 NHL games. 
he also chipped in with 21 block shots, which was nice as well. He came in and was willing to sacrifice the body immediately. I, I was really impressed with the progress that we saw from Alec Regula. I know a lot of people probably gave Lucas Reichel this award, but I thought the way that Regula progressed was super impressive. And um, he might be, out of all those defensemen down in Rockford, not named Ian Mitchell, he might have um, the best chances of cracking the NHL lineup next season. I think it would be between him or Alex Vlasic, if I had to guess. Uh, but a really strong year from Alec Regula, I thought, you know, in his 15 games worth of action. Um, and the way that he improved upon himself throughout that limited span of games, I thought was the main reason why I decided to give him uh, the Calder Trophy or the Artemi Panarin Breadman Memorial Award this year. Last, but certainly not least, folks, we have the biggest bust award. And this was one uh, probably more so than any other, sadly, that I really had to think about here because it could have gone to several different players for the Chicago Blackhawks this season. Could have gone to Kirby Doc, although I didn't give it to Kirby. It was certainly a down year for Kirby, don't get me wrong, but I think the expectations for Kirby as a 20-year-old weren't quite as high as it was for a couple of other guys on the roster. Personally, for me, this was down to two players. It was down to Dominic Kubelik and Jake McCabe. And ultimately, I ended up giving it to Dominic Kubelik. And the reason why um, I didn't give it to McCabe is because I thought he did pick it up a little bit as the season progressed. And interestingly enough, I heard one source, I forget who it was, one of the Blackhawks beat writers in an article said that the Blackhawks were a little wary of him getting off to a slow start after undergoing, I believe it was ankle surgery in the offseason or maybe knee surgery. Don't quote me on that. But I know he underwent surgery in the offseason, and uh, I, I did read that the Blackhawks organization um, kind of expected him to get off to a little bit of a slow start, and he certainly did just that. I mean, his first month, month and a half year with the Blackhawks was absolutely dreadful. Uh, and all in all, I, I still thought he had far too many breakdowns and uh, D-zone turnovers for a guy who just got paid a 4 by 4 contract to really come here and play on the shutdown pairing. So. I was definitely disappointed with Jake McCabe. He did set a career high uh, in terms of points this year, though. He was chipping in offensively, which I like to see. The Blackhawks certainly needed that from their back end this year. But I elected to give it to Dominic Kubelik because I think he had the greater expectations of the two. Even though um, he only had 17 goals last year, that was still in a 56-game shortened season. So uh, if they played 82, he probably would have been pushing 30 once again. And for him to only have 15 goals in 76 games, 78 games this year, excuse me, career low in that department. He also had a career low 32 points. It was frustrating to say the least. I think we all expected more out of Dominic Kubelik um, after what we saw early on. Obviously, he was nominated for the Calder Trophy as a rookie after potting 30 goals. Um, and it was just sad to see him be basically a non-factor for the majority of the campaign. And the frustrating part, too, of that was he had chances. He had scoring chances. He was still getting his shots off. He was just fanning on them regularly. It became known as Coop, the Kubi was just fanning on an open scoring opportunity, completely whiffing on a one-timer. That became the Kubi because of how many times he did it throughout the year. 
And to also basically be a non-factor on the power play this season, I will say some of that was probably him playing on the second unit, which really didn't have much success as a whole. But with the clap on that he has, I still feel like we got to get him more ice time on the man advantage if he's going to remain a member of the Blackhawks in the future. Uh, But he had a career low, three power play goals this year. As I said, basically a non-factor for a couple of different reasons there. And he shot a career low 9.3%. That's why the goal scoring numbers are down. He still had his shots on goal. He just wasn't finding the back of the net as often as uh, he did in his first two NHL seasons. To be fair, though, one, one thing this did make me think of was Alex Dabrinkit's junior slump, if, if you want to call it that, because the one time Alex Dabrinkit had, and knock on wood, the one time, one time that Alex Dabrinkit has had a down year in, in his five years with the Blackhawks was his third season, where he only potted 18 goals in 70 games and had a career-low shooting percentage. And a lot of people were like, oh, Alex Dabrinkit might not be the 40-goal scorer we thought he was. Sometimes you just don't have the puck luck. So that's why I do lean towards the idea of bringing Kubalik back for at least one more year to see if he can kind of shed the rust in that area and, you know, get back to being a regular goal scorer for this team because I don't think you should judge someone solely on just one year. Now, if the Blackhawks are offered a a really good trade package in the offseason for Kubalik, then you might have to do it. But if you're not, then I think it's smarter, a heck of a lot smarter to bring him back for one more year especially knowing the team's probably not going to be competitive next year, rather than just completely letting him walk for free, another team taking a gamble on him and him possibly, it is possible of him returning to being the player that he was not all that long ago. Um, So I I do still think Kubelik has the ability to bounce back and has the shot to do it, uh, but he didn't show that at all this season. The inconsistency was really a pain in the butt. And for a Blackhawks offense that struggled from top to bottom, Aside from that top line, they really could have used more out of Dominic Kubalik this season. So based on the expectations and based on the letdown uh, and how the Blackhawks really could have used his help, that's why I elected to go with Dominic Kubalik as my biggest bust of the 2021-2022 season for the Chicago Blackhawks. All right, folks, I think that is going to wrap up Wednesday, May 11th episode of Locked On Blackhawks. Thank you again for tuning into the show and be sure to go and follow the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast and wherever you get your podcast, it's a hundred percent for free and be sure to go and subscribe to Lockdown Blackhawks on YouTube and you'll be able to get the latest episode as soon as it comes out each day. And after the show, be sure to go and tune into the Lockdown NHL podcast for all the latest news and info on every team still available, still around in the Stanley Cup playoffs. It's free and available on all platforms, so be sure to go and check out Lockdown NHL wherever you get your podcasts. Once again, thank you for tuning into today's episode. I'm your host, Jack Bushman. You can find me out on Twitter at JackBushman2, or you could also go and check out my Strictly Blackhawks account at Talk and Hockey for all the latest Blackhawks news and updates. And for any questions at all regarding anything related to the show, feel free to email LockdownBlackhawks at gmail.com. You can also hit me up on any one of my Twitter accounts, or you can call 708-653-0572 to leave a voicemail. So until tomorrow's episode, thanks again for tuning into the Lockdown Blackhawks podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day.